and welcome to the Code Discourse. I'm Zara Zadeh, a Harvard-trained clinical psychologist. And I am Michael Bledsoe, a Johns Hopkins-trained cognitive neuropsychologist and entrepreneur. We are bringing you these conversations to discuss the things you didn't know you need to know. What you can expect is cutting-edge conversations regarding consciousness, life, real spirituality, human development, psychology, neuroscience, and much more. Tune in here every week to listen to us and our guests and let us know what topics pique your curiosity. Hello, everyone. Today we have the first podcast episode for Code featuring Michael Bledsoe and me, Zara Zade. I am so excited to bring you this topic. Today we're going to talk to you about hierarchies and some questions that I'm going to have. Or as we pronounce that in the West, hierarchies. Yes, or that. <laughs> I like to I like to say hierarchies. As Just far so as know, I know, there's no correct. right it's way like, to say it. Yeah, it's like right? aluminum and aluminium. That's right. Or tomato and tomato. Okay. Right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. So, yes, we're going to be talking to you about hierarchies, and I'm going to have some questions for Michael that uh, I think that you'll really enjoy some of the illuminating things that we say about this. It's not a popular topic at all, but we're going to make it one because it's super important. So here we go. Michael, I don't have a starting question for you. So <laughs> okay. uh, why don't you riff on just the first thing that comes to mind about this that's important to say, and then we'll go into mm. some topics. Well, uh, it's a reasonably common misconception anymore that you could pretty much just artificially do away with hierarchies and then the world would be a better place for it but there's so much in that idea that people who espouse it don't really understand because they're thinking in particular about synthetic hierarchies and they see hierarchies as entirely man-made but and, and then they also basically stop short and draw lines that really shouldn't be there around things that actually are to get around things that actually are also hierarchies so for example just as a quick aside in your day you have a hierarchy of things in your head that you set out to do or need to do Priorities. And, yeah, I mean, priorities are situated in a hierarchy because there's a multitude of things that you could do mm-hmm. that you're not going to do or that you don't want to do or are unwilling to do. And it is because it's situated in a semi-conscious hierarchy in your own mind that you're able to functionally operate and not have to go through your day um, randomly picking what it is that you do. You have some sort of logic and order to it. And that's because, frankly, hierarchies are about as natural as it gets. Uh, there's two essentially mathematical laws or principles that really describe the nature of um, humans, nature, just about everything to arrange itself hierarchically. Uh, the first one is the Pareto Principle, uh, also known as the Pareto Distribution, 
and it's been known to be called the 80-20 rule, which is basically the idea that 20% of a population reaps about 80% of the rewards, and the narrower you get, the depending on the distribution and depending on the field. Um, that number might be significantly smaller, reaping up to 50 or more percent of the work, um, rewards. So uh, you can look at the music industry as a pretty good example because a very, very small number of artists out of mm. the pool of existing artists reap Make the vast majority of the rewards. And it's because it's very complicated and we don't live in a world where um, you can only be good at music and that's typically sufficient. Like you have to be decent at the branding and the marketing and uh, you have entertaining. to be entertaining. Yeah, exactly. There's all these other priorities that as a society we've uh, thrown up to you make to play it more nice. difficult. Right, you have to be able to play the politics of that industry and that in and of itself is a huge challenge. So each new one of these constraints is a filter inserted into the hierarchy to make it more selective. Mm -hmm. So the reason why one, one could reasonably assert that the reason why musicians and top people in that industry are valued very highly by society and valued really highly as potential partners or mates is because the selectivity of that because of all the filters that we put on it and have arisen either synthetically or sort of semi-organically within that um, are so high that it takes a really specific sort of person that's something that we've come to value in a societal sense to make it in that industry in general. What um, you're saying makes me think of the fact that the the people that come out, you know, through those filters and actually can quote unquote make it and play the game, the politics, actually have a lot of talent, just, you know, taking the music example, music artist example, then they're the, the people that are able to adapt the best and are able to actually um, shift and move and construct themselves in ways to push past a lot of layers that others can't. And so that makes me think about how a lot of people that can't or refuse to uh, do those things that people who quote-unquote make it do is because they're actually rebellious in different ways. I think that's one of the things that actually, uh, like, if someone is rebellious, they tend to have a more difficult time understanding the need for hierarchies, or even if they understand the need for them, they're less likely to want to embrace them and create their own or fit into one. And I see that like that is one of the main factors. Mm. Why? So there's kind of two elements to that. So um, depending on the degree and the reasons why a person might be rebellious, uh, that can sort of embody or be a bit of an embodiment of one or two of two very meta archetypes, which is either really the hero or the adversary. And in that context, and I, I typically prefer to deal uh, at a much higher level of resolution, but it's actually just easier to discuss it in this sense because it's a very meta thing that we uh, kind of understand collectively. It's like the adversary doesn't like hierarchies or the system, quote unquote, the system, 
because they don't mm. do well in the system. Like right. they may have a hard time um, finding a partner. They may have difficulty being recognized with the level of respect that they feel like they deserve. Uh, there's a multitude of reasons why. So they tend to root for the dissolution of it or just they um, are not consider themselves nonconformist and just don't want to play that game and therefore don't reap the rewards. And then the hero is much more um, basically, I guess you could say, accepting and valuing of the past and of the structures that exist that are functional and is rebellious in the sense that that person wants to do the things or build the different hierarchies that challenge the existing ones to be better or uh, the new hierarchies that might actually take over for the old ones. So That makes sense. Yes, I mean, absolutely. It feels like the person who would be the adversary or fit into the adversary archetype, I can definitely imagine people fitting into that archetype and their sort of their philosophy for also being that way might be that, okay, well, I don't want to fit into those structures because I feel as though those structures are rigged against me or I have proof that they're rigged against me and thus I oppose them. And it seems to me that the the person who would fit into the hero archetype would be the person that would, at least to me it seems this way, that they would see past that and think, okay, well, uh, I don't, in a way, like, I care that they're rigged against me if they are, and that at the same time, I don't really care. I'm still going to succeed, and I'm still going to do the things so that I can actually make a real change and a real impact and not get hung up on the ways that the system, quote-unquote, or whatever hierarchy it is that we're talking about may be um, unfavorable or unsuited to me, naturally. Right. And the thing is that uh, people usually deal in blacks and whites of like, is the system rigged? It's like, yeah, of course it is. But it they don't deal in the resolution of how rigged is it. And the matter of fact is that it's just not that rigged against any individual group or person anymore. Now, yes, if you have a lot of money and you're... Uh, have your parents have a lot of connections you're going to be set up a lot better and have a lot better opportunities but just about everybody that's middle class or lower has relatively similar um, not opportunities but biasing against them so mm. the system's not explicitly more biased against someone who is um, poor inner city than it is like middle class sort of suburban or rural it's simply that the system is biased in favor of competence such that it doesn't care it appears biased in certain ways that are actually the result of competence biasing and that's where if you have to actually control for that variable if you're a sociologist so that you're actually uh, absorbing enough of the bias into that to where you can actually find out how much is left over for either um, implicit or explicit racial or group biasing or um, socioeconomic biasing. Mm, okay, so it also seems as though, okay, and that would be that would be the case even if some people do have unfair advantages, you know, 
Because you mm-hmm. did point out that some people do might have unf- like unfair, quote unquote, using that term loosely, but certain people might have certain advantages, right? Mm-hmm. And yet it also seems to me, which I just thought of, I think it's kind of funny that the person who would fit into the hero archetype a lot of times, even in stories and films and just my own experience in life, has shown that the people who actually tend to feel like the system is most rigged against them or has been most rigged against them, like that they've had the least amount of advantages in their childhood and how they were brought up and opportunities and so on in their life tend to actually sometimes do the best because they actually tend to have even more of an internal drive to push past anything that would stop them. You know, it almost seems well, like, do you know what I mean? So, so I, I know what you mean. The difference, though, being that those typically are the sorts of people that don't internally view it as though the system is biased against them, even though it might be, because the difference is a mindset matter. It's like, well, sometimes it's actually better to misperceive something in a way that's going to lead you to a better, better course outcomes. of action and mm-hmm. better outcomes than it is to potentially appropriately perceive something. And, I mean, I could go down a rabbit hole of how there's enough information out there to support a large variety of viewpoints as being, to some degree, equally true, but that really means that the responsibility is on the individual to pick the one that's going to get them moving in the direction of becoming the best version of themselves. Right. And perceiving the system as rigged... uh, frequently leads to people just kind of giving up and being like well it's or giving up or trying to quit the system and yeah and and even if they don't necessarily give up they inter- they internalize that and it really does hold them back because they start to play a much smaller game thinking that they're just not allowed into the big leagues or whatever they do they would never make it into the big leagues which is just not true yeah I mean, it, the, the real fact of the matter is that if you look at most people that are currently successful, they didn't have rich parents. Nepotism wasn't a big contributing factor. Um, <laughs> it's actually really surprising, and that's actually what you want to see in a system that's working properly, is that the people that are on top actually didn't get there from familial mm-hmm. advantages, mm-hmm. Um, you know, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, none of those guys, like Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, none of those guys really had significant familial advantages, to my knowledge, and I'm pretty confident of that. Uh, And despite that, they were able to get to where they're at and make such a significant impact. And you could say the same thing for a lot of music artists, is that really, to my knowledge again, um, I'm not the best when it comes to knowledge about music and the music industry, but the vast majority of the artists don't have uh, the advantages of family wealth or extensive connections that people sometimes see as being the system and working against them. It's really just um, beating on your craft for hours and hours and hours and doing everything that is necessary and just doing that day in, day out to get that shot and being ready and prepared when that happens. And mm-hmm. the, that's the crazy thing is that 
if you're the right kind of person when the opportunity presents itself, you can become an nearly overnight sensation. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of these people just blew up like that from near uh, zero preparation meeting right? opportunity. Like, yeah, part of what you're saying is also bringing up thoughts of a point that that you made a little bit ago about how a lot of those people that might have grown up, you know, without the typical advantages and have had very difficult lives comparatively to the average person, the reason you were saying that, yes, they might become a hero, quote-unquote, or fit their behaviors might fit into the hero archetype, but that is because they don't see the system as rigged, you know, against them. And to add to that, I think that even like a lot of those people might have started out thinking that the system was rigged against them, but eventually they actually graduate out of that to thinking that, okay, you know what? I don't really care about that anymore. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of like, okay, I'm not going to spend any more time trying to figure out if the system is rigged against me because I realize that any effort placed into things of that nature is actually just holding me back in a lot of ways from being able to actually do the things to maximize my potential. And I can definitely think of different people, you know, that I've come in contact with and even myself, you know, a lot of times, like I used to think that. And then I got to a point where I realized that that wasn't doing me any good whatsoever and thinking about that at all and wasting any time thinking that anything was rigged against me was actually just making that more of a reality in my own personal life and then like graduating to the perspective like you said of the mindset shift of okay I'm only going to invest in things that not even caring so much if something is necessarily true quote-unquote but believing in the thing that helps me have the best outcome and helps me actually realize my mission which I think is a very mm, unpopular view I don't think people talk about that at all because people especially when they start to advance in consciousness and just being more aware as individuals they really embrace the idea of you know living complete alignment quote-unquote with truth and I think some of the understanding of okay well that's that's so important of course and yet if you focus too much on things that hold you back even though they may be true and you're not sure of that that's actually hurting everyone and it's actually hurting your ultimate truth does that make sense yeah i I would definitely agree with that right it's not the way that we're hardwired a lot of uh to the i guess you could probably attribute it to the way that we're educated is to believe that there is one correct answer or that there is even an answer. And like this isn't a relativistic point of view uh, to say that there's no answer, but the way that you're hardwired is not correct. It's okay. One, it's not taking into account the fact that just about anything is multivariate, right? So you've got to look at what are all the contributing factors and then to even begin to get at the truth of the damn thing and then it just gets crazy complicated from there because there's a heavy degree of uncertainty just built into it so basically um, 
there's a lot that goes into your implicit and intuitive understanding, which is really the value of intuition in this case with truth itself, because there is essentially infinite truth out there, capital T truth, and you can perceive and believe essentially any of it and not be exactly wrong, but you're wrong based off of the outcome that you're mm. looking to achieve and the direction you're looking to move in with your life. Because that's where the very complex issue of um, relativism to some degree actually comes in. Is like, well, what truth is appropriately relative for the situation to achieve the outcome that you're looking for and is achieve the outcome that you're looking for and is going to best suit you and others in that regard. And that's a very, very difficult uh, task to undertake cognitively. So, but we, we got a little bit sidetracked from hierarchies. There was some other stuff that definitely would be valuable yes. to raise about that. about that. Um, so the other uh, rule relevant to hierarchies, and again, this is just something that happens incredibly organically. No one's legislated this. No one's written it into corporate laws. No one's done any of that. It just arises organically, and we've noticed this. It's Price's Law. Um, and Price's Law is that the square root of a population does half the work. So if you have 100 employees, 10 of those do 50% of the labor. I know it sounds crazy. It means that you're wasting your money on about 90 of them. But uh, if you have, what is it, there are 10,000 employees, that's now 100 of them do half the work. So it means that those people are also going to be disproportionately rewarded. And you see these sorts of things stack up in nature as well. So between that and the Pareto distribution, which remember that's the 80-20 idea of 20% um, getting approximately 80% of the benefits. So the thing is, is that um, we wouldn't exist today the way we do if it weren't for these laws and these sorts of hierarchies. Because... Uh, just so you guys know, and th this is actually, it's kind of a confusing thing until you get your head around it, but um, you have about three times as many female ancestors as you do male ancestors. Because basically the way that it worked is one man would have kids with multiple women, and there were different periods throughout our developmental history as a species where that would be significantly more prevalent than it is uh, today. So, especially as we were going from hunter-gatherers to farming, uh, I believe the number shot up to somewhere around even being a 12 to one ratio uh, during that time period, which is unbelievable. It's um, the emergence of what we understand developmentally as uh, hypergamy, which is the mm -hmm. idea that men who have the majority of resources or a significant amount of resources are a higher, of higher sexual market value than mm -hmm. men who have lower amounts of them, which makes perfect sense because as a woman, um, and this is just the fact of uh, the labor-intensive process for humans to have kids and the energy-intensive process is like you need a guy who's going to be able to provide not only during the period during which you're pregnant, but long after that until the child is able to take care of itself. So that process 
led to the kinds of people that were intelligent enough and resourceful enough and fortunate enough that luck actually factors in, obviously, um, to become uh, agrarian mm. or farmers to have then contributed and led to a significant increase in that during that period and then so on and so forth that sort of uh, it, that's actually related to some degree to trait conscientiousness uh, so we would probably consider that the nascent emergence of that trait uh, enhancement in humans is really what we could say progressively and throughout time led to us having this society at the level of development that we have today and that's again I can take it back to not even being uh, a human thing and chimpanzees you see that the alpha chimp has sires uh, like what's the ratio that I remember let's, let's just deal number of uh, kids from the study I remember I don't remember the exact study I'm sure I could dig it up but I think in the study the alpha chimp had around 12 uh, kids mm. and in the next one had his, his number two had seven uh, the one after that had like three and then some, the, some band in the middle of like what was it probably number two of seven the, number two of in the, the hierarchy of chimps son or? no it's not son it's just the number two in the hierarchy of chimps oh so, gotcha um, yes chimps are very uh, you probably call it tactical in the way that they interact with each other and um, alpha chimps that tend to hold their spot for a while build coalitions amongst them mm. and the next stronger uh, chimpanzees mm. strongest and well liked and what essentially what we call nascent levels of uh, wisdom in non-human uh, animals so uh, then after that it was like five or seven of them had like one kid and then the rest had zero mm. so it's like another five or so that had zero and that's valuable because and all the women had chimpanzees or the female chimpanzees had like numerous so that's valuable because uh, through female choosiness and this is the thing that people oftentimes uh, disregard in terms of human evolution is that female choosiness was one of the huge things that powered that because uh, the females of the species would choose from the best mates and then have as many kids with them mm -hmm. as possible, which led to a dramatic, I would say, increase in the acceleration of our own evolution and development of consciousness and the intelligence of our brain and the degree to which uh, we're just specialized into that. So that hierarchy led to us evolving significantly faster from chimpanzee to what we are today. And that's unbelievably natural. I mean, you, you can see the same thing happen in a ton of other animals. You have hierarchies in lobsters, yeah. as Jordan Peterson always likes to talk about. Mm -hmm. So it's a very old structure. And 
all throughout the fabric of nature, actually. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like you see the same thing in animals that are arguably ent- or entities that are arguably entirely unconscious. Right, so, exactly. Uh, trees is a pretty good example. It's like if you look at the number of tr- um, seeds and stuff that become maybe saplings and mm. proportional to the number of trees that are actually getting the majority of sunlight and then the height of those trees and the largest ones then you're seeing another uh, essentially Pareto distribution. And you, if you expanded that to say what plants in a given forest are getting the maximum amount of light, and you expand that to not trees, so uh, the plants that grow on the forest floor, then many of those are getting very little, if any, and the trees, which make up a much smaller number proportionally, are getting a hell of a lot more of that and more of the nutrients just because of their size and everything mm. so it's um it's a thing that happens at basically every level of the evolutionary spectrum and you know people who see it as a problem sort of conflate the issue here because hierarchies are not a problem like you wouldn't be able to function society wouldn't function nothing would function period without hierarchies the problem is uh, when they become corrupt or predicated on things, or partially, I, I should speak more specifically, when they become partially predicated on things that are uh, corrupting elements or not ideal to the intentions set out. So if your advancement in a job is predicated, if you're a woman, on you performing uh, acts that would be entirely immoral and it involves things like uh, willfully consenting to sexual harassment. That's an example of a hierarchy that's become corrupted. And Mm. uh, typically, as much damage as that does to the people, it actually damages the structure of the hierarchy itself. And then the hierarchy typically becomes destabilized over time. Um, And then some other company, some other hierarchy will take over that's more ethical mm-hmm. uh, or more ethically aligned with what's publicly acceptable because that's mm-hmm. the issue here is that it's not that the most ethical hierarchy is the most optimal hierarchy. It's the one that is most ethical relative to the ethical standards of the society itself. Mm-hmm. So uh, one could contend, and I'm not saying this is necessarily the case, but one could probably contend it, that the reason why more um, sexually inappropriate hierarchies, so not saying they're all bad, or... Exist in the East? Well, what? Were you going to say that exists in the East? Because that's what I was thinking of. In the East? Yeah. Like, where in the East? Like, I was thinking of, because you were saying it's not that the most ethical hierarchies are the ones that, you know, come out on top or sustain. It's ethical in comparison to what's considered ethical within that structure, within that society. And so I was thinking, you know, places like Saudi Arabia, for example, like, their ethical standards are obviously very much unlike ours, you know, different degrees. So mm, things like, you know, sexual harassment and things of that nature, just to continue with your example don't have the same weight 
you know, in terms of like right. those hierarchies like sustain themselves and persist throughout time because the standard in that society is just not the same as ours. Exactly. And that's where... Um, not saying that ours is the is highest. It, so the, so. the issue that I have a lot of times actually with the pe- sorts of people that don't want to ascribe to anything being true or, le- or bad or more bad necessarily... It's a weird fucking thing um, than anything else is that those are the sorts of, and have problems with hierarchies is that those are the sorts of people that should developmentally have ascended to the level of post-conventional morality according to like Kohlberg's stages of morality and it, it basically there's a ton of developmental theories they all actually correlate pretty heavily to being just six initial stages of uh, development being the first six and it's basically the idea of a universal law un- the spirit of the law um, and a universal sort of moral ethic and that okay let's look at this does this action violate the uh, sovereign rights of another person and what would happen if everybody undertook such sorts of actions and um, were there any momentary mitigating um, elements or things to that situation? So, like, you, there's examples um, that are really complicated of people who, or there, there's one that I'm specifically thinking of that was a good study, but a guy spontaneously started being interested in um, pedophilia. But he had no prior inclinations towards that, and they discovered that he had a brain tumor pressing on a very specific part mm. of his brain, and there have been other documented cases that are like that. So that's an example where you have a mitigating factor of like, okay, well, this is not something that he just was browsing around and hap- perusing into, and was like, you know what, I, I feel like becoming a pedophile. It's something that, uh, or wherein factors entirely out of his control led to such desires or inclinations. So that's something that level six and that uh, post-conventional would consider. At the conventional level, it's like, no, uh, pedophilia is illegal. And like if you're a pedophile, that's wrong. And so we're going to put that kind of person in jail. Mm. And... At level six, it's like, no, that's not really that person's fault. Uh, We need to help that person. We need to get them brain surgery or whatever we need to do to eliminate the tumor and rehabilitate that person. So, right, um, just to paint you the picture of what that six looks like. And the issue that I take with those sorts of people is that um, their ideology oftentimes is incompatible with certain things like saying that other cultures actions or beliefs are wrong so in uh, certain Middle Eastern countries as I was pointing out rape is significantly less criminalized if at all criminalized uh, compared to the United States and then the system itself is set up to allow people to get off significantly easier for that so is that wrong? It's like, yes, of course that's fucking wrong because we appeal to a universal ethic of like, 
well, if you were in that person's shoes, how would you feel about being raped and then not being able to do anything about it? Mm. That's part of the proper function of relativism is it's like, okay, well, right. me relative to that person's perspective and position, and you're supposed to be trying to put yourself in that person's, in that person's shoes. shoes. Yep. So uh, that's a good example of when hierarchies become predicated on the wrong things. And this is the thing that we have to really look out for and consider heavily. And something we could arguably attribute to much of the success of the West is that our hierarchies are um, intentionally predicated on the correct axiomatic assumptions and presuppositions, which is almost a thing of luck. Like, it's so crazy that we got it so right compared to everywhere else. Like, we're doing really well on a lot of these fronts, and a lot of the countries that do not have such uh, initial conditions for their hierarchies and the system that produces uh, progressively newer and updates or destroys old hierarchies, um, in those countries, the outcomes have just been significantly evidently worse. Mm -hmm. And then... Um, just the way in which in America we value certain things, and it's not to say that uh, valuing other things is wrong or worse, it's just that it leads to differential outcomes, and depending on what you as an individual or society value, that determines how right or how wrong that might be. Mm. So uh, Zara was in Europe recently and um, was pointing out a couple things, and I really started racking my brain about it, and... You know, save a, a few countries in Europe, um, like, you know, Germany, the UK is pretty productive, um, but you just don't see a similar level of productivity even taking Europe itself compared to the United States on the world scale or innovation or technology. And, you know, it, it's really interesting to me it's because to some degree that spirit that drives a lot of that value both implicitly and explicitly in American culture, is just less present there, it right. seems to me at least. So, again, even the society itself has a value hierarchy, and if that sort of thing is not situated near or at the top of their value hierarchy, then mm -hmm. they're going to produce less societal results in that direction. Mm. Mm. So, time only ever tells what is better and that's the difficulty is that we have to look at history we have to use um, basically mathematical modeling to be like okay well we've been pretty right so far so maybe we're moving in the right direction or are we violating our essentially sacred initial conditions that set up the system that produces good hierarchies and do we have mm -hmm. to look back at that, that. Mm. yeah and so um that's what you see in canada with their attempt to legislate uh that you have to use certain words some people say that that's not really what they're doing but it's like yeah i mean you're getting pretty damn close on on that even if that's not exactly what they were trying to do so in the u.s that's we literally have that as our first amendment it's like you can't do that and the more we play around with the amendments or the Constitution, the more we're 
tempting fate in a way because this is essentially the direction that we've collectively decided to go in from the start and some things have to be updated but they should be updated pretty progressively and with a large consensus to make sure that we don't capsize our own ship okay so very interesting lots of examples i don't have anything else to add was there anything else no, we spoke about a lot of things, and I'm uh, looking forward to seeing the reactions and seeing how this actually helps you, because as far as hierarchies go, the more that you essentially want to rebel against them or deny their existence or feel as though you you know, cannot fit into one or create your own... Mm-hmm the less likely you are to really thrive and succeed because it's sort of like denying the existence of something that is is working and constantly happening it's around like you. Gravity. You know, it's, it's like, okay. exactly it's like it's all around you and it's happening and if you're not really in touch with it then it's clearly not helping you and it's probably working against you because you're not totally tapped into the different games that are being played around you, you know, and I think that that's very common and, you know, it's not about feeling bad about it. It's just really understanding why you might have certain resistances to that, you know, to hierarchies, even as maybe even as a word, you know, maybe you just don't even like the word. So I hope that this episode yeah. was and there enlightening. There's there one other thing that... Um, sure, let's get into it. ...have... Um... So, and, and you did bring up a thing with games, so we'll have to get in another episode into game, game theory and the definitely, games that I can't can wait for and that. played. Next but, episode. Yeah. Uh, the thing with hierarchies and the way that they're situated in the, let's just call it like digital or synthetic, um, digital and synthetic worlds that we've created on top of the natural world as a species, is that the degree to which you're excelling in the different hierarchies that you're attempting to excel in actually gives you feedback as to how in touch you are with the reality exactly. or actuality right. and uh, how well of a job you've done mastering yourself the to thing excel is, you, in that and, you, and you cannot create your own until you acknowledge the existence of ones that are already existing and you know vibrating around you right they have to be compatible to some degree with the existing ones. They can't just be something that's completely out of less uh, field. And that's some issue that we've had sometimes with that's elements true. of code is right. that everything that people uh, run into is assessed in terms of what they already know and what they've already experienced, What essentially what is familiar. And if you have something that is completely unfamiliar and you have nothing to ground that in or explain to someone uh, why that's relevant to their life, then you're going to have an incredibly difficult time. I also think that you're not as well able to integrate, you know, and you're not able to really insert yourself into the reality of the world and create something that is in harmony with other things and can actually plug into other things and plugging in a way into each other. Um, because when you're sort of coming out of left field and you're trying to create something without 
accepting the existence of other hierarchies or being willing to collaborate and work with ones that at least align with what you're doing, then you're not really cooperating and you're not really trying to acknowledge and embrace what's already there, you know, and, and integrate with it and not in a way that dilutes your own purpose or your mission or really the spirit of what you're creating, but that actually enhances it because at the end of the day, it's going to help you to expand into more. Definitely. And I think that there's something to be said for uh, having a level of gratitude, even though the system isn't perfect, hierarchies aren't perfect, but having a level of gratitude for the system and hierarchies that essentially gave rise to you and gave rise to your ability to not have to be an apex predator. Um, A comedian I was listening to recently made a hilarious point that we're not apex predators because we don't have to uh, run after animals and try to kill them even though we are capable of doing it. It's like, no, we go to the grocery store and we pick out what want animal or plants we want. And we, we are outside of the whole... Uh, chain of predation like we, we won mm. the survival game mm. so you have to give some level of thanks really to the system and environment into which you were born and yes. understand that it could always be significantly worse and that's one proper use of relativism is you should be grateful that your lot in life is better than uh, a lot of people's yeah and what it would have been probably you know in the past yeah 2000 years so, ago like well, not that long ago what would it have not been? that long ago even yeah, yeah let's even definitely. go 100 100 so. uh say 30 years ago not so nice mm-hmm. that's a great reminder so wonderful i'm sure this was enlightening to a lot of listeners probably everyone because i'm sure there were a lot of things in here that you know you haven't really necessarily come across it's like i said it's an unpopular topic but i encourage you to share this episode with someone that you feel like could really benefit from this or that it's just interesting and you want someone else to hear it to talk to about and uh collaborate with in this way so yes i'm looking forward to the next episode and we are so thrilled aren't we michael for sure. <laughs> as much as my monotone voice lets me be. <laughs> yeah, this is really, really exciting. And we're going to be bringing you a lot of fresh content um, weekly and probably multiple times a week. There's going to be a variety of length of episodes. This one was quite long. We're bordering on, you know, 46 minutes right now. So some of them are going to be shorter and so on with great uh, show notes so you know what you're getting into. So as always, thank you for listening. And if you'd like to check out my own podcast, uh, please check it out under No Acid Needed by Zara Zade on iTunes. Wishing you all the best. Happy weekend and see you on the next one. Bye.